Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dyler Coltman, joined as always by Elliot Tanty and Braden Dyler Coltman. We took the week off last week for Labor Day, and because it was the end of summer and we were still enjoying summer, but we are into September now officially, and we are only a couple weeks away from training camp getting started in the NHL. Very exciting, boys. Are we getting ready? Are we getting restless? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I could use hockey right about now. Uh, football came back. NFL came back this uh, this week, and, and uh, baseball's doing well. So I've got I've got my fair share of sports in front of me. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot going on. I'm happy to announce that I am two and zero in the first week of fantasy football this week, winning both my league games. So I just want to argue about that. Yeah. Rock and roll. Well, we're not going to talk too much NFL. Oh, we're actually not going to talk any NFL this week. We probably will get to it at some point as the storylines start to unfold, but that is right that the NFL is back and Major League Baseball is getting closer and closer to the playoffs. We will talk Major League Baseball in our third topic today. We're going to talk a little bit of tennis, but we will start on the ice as we do part two of our Oilers offseason. Let's get to it without further ado. This is top one. So two weeks ago, we started a three-part series dedicated to the Oilers offseason. If you are not an Oilers fan, I'm sorry for you. Uh, you may want to skip ahead, but if you are, like we are, then this is going to be probably the most exciting part of the show. We are going to talk about the defense. It has been a busy offseason for the defense. Last week, we talked about the offense. Obviously, that's where the two big stars are, but the defense needs to be uh, as important to the success of this team uh, as anyone playing offense, we saw a little bit of that last year. Huge year last year for Darnell Nurse. Huge step forward. He's rewarded with a big extension that will come into effect uh, next season. So that was part of the offseason, getting him tied up long term. Um, but he has one more year on his smaller deal, which left a little bit more cap space for Ken Holland to do some work. Obviously, a bit of controversy early in the offseason season. We saw Adam Larson taken by the Seattle Kraken. I think that surprised some people. That left a hole that needed to be filled, uh, and and that's what that's kind of where the the whole uh, free agency thing set up for for Ken Holland. He had an additional problem to solve that he may not have planned on. But let's get to it uh, right away here, Elliot. I know you mentioned last week that you or two weeks ago that you felt like the defensive part of this was what was really going to stir up some, some controversy or some emotion in you. How do you feel the Oilers dealt with the defensive part of their roster this off season? Yeah, I think, I think like many fans, I'm really frustrated with where things ended up for the uh, Edmonton Oilers this year. We saw remarkable uh, growth in the front end and the forwards. We talked about that last week. Um, the forwards will be better, but some of that, some of that betterness for the team is going to be pulled back because the defense, I think, is taking a step back. I'm going to point to a tweet from the Copper and Blue at Copper and Blue. The Edmonton Oilers, and this is the tweet, the Edmonton Oilers went from a capable decor with youth and cost-controlled upside to one of the oldest, worst, and most expensive D groups in the league. And I can't help but agree with that. And, and, and you guys have limited me in our conversations about the Oilers to in a small box by saying, well, it's about the next four years. The Oilers are about winning right now. And I, and I accept that, you know what? Leon Dreisaitl's contract's up in four years. Connor's up in five. They do are in a win right now situation, but there is no margin in which you can judge the change that they've made to the back end of this team. That tells me that they've done something that says they're in win. Now, look, who comes back? Nurse, Barry, Russell, a couple of the, the, the bottom end guys. Who's out? Jones? 
and um, Bear. Ethan Who's Bear. in? CC. Oh, and, and Lagason. Or what's his name? Larson. So you've lost Jones, you've lost Bear, and you've lost Larson, and you've replaced them with Heath, CC, and a collection of other sort of bottom line blue liners. That to me, straight across, is not an improvement on the defensive end. The last thing I'll say, because I want to be mindful of the fact that we're only supposed to be taking five minutes to this, <laughs> is that if the idea is to win right now, the Duncan Keith trade, not only did we lose Jones in it, but we gave up a conditional draft pick, a third round conditional draft pick that turns into a second if the Oilers make the finals. Well, that significantly hampers the Oilers next year when they come to the trade deadline because neither of those picks they are able to trade. They have to keep the second because it's conditionally offered and the third has already been given up technically too. So if the idea is that we're winning right now, how can we justify what's been done when we've limited our ability to make moves at the deadline in addition to making our defense worse? That's my pay case and that's my point and that's why I'm frustrated about the defense this year. Okay, the uh, prosecution rests. Braden, how do you feel about the defense? <laughs> uh, like, I, <laughs> I disagree uh, wholeheartedly with Elliot and the other, the, the rest of the Oilers bandwagon that claims that the defense is going to be a problem next year. I think that it's hard. Uh, it's a hard pill to swallow. We lost uh, hard, heavy hitting Adam Larson. He was, uh, I, I disagree that we got. Um, uh, older and and um in that like cody cc's 27 uh yeah bear's gone yes keith that's gonna be an older guy jordan pointed out something i'm gonna leave up to him to uh, point out on on the whole duncan keith situation but i think cody cc is gonna be a surprise for a lot of oilers fans he had a bounce back year last year in pittsburgh put up some i think he had like 19 points for a shortened season, nine, uh, 17 points for a shortened season, 18 plus minus. That's pretty damn good. Uh, I'd say. And, and I think the biggest thing for the Oilers on defense is that we had um, Tyson, Tyson Berry's coming back. And that is a huge, that is, that is really, really big continuity. I think for our power play. That's all I, that's all I want to say on that. I think it's big uh, that we lost Ethan bear, but we, we, we covered with, um, uh, Warren Fogle being the depth guy that we need. Um, Ethan Bear made some boneheaded moves, uh, uh, turnovers in the in the postseason. Yeah, there's a lot of upside there, but I think that uh, he was he was um, we we had what we needed there. So so bringing Warren Fogle was the right move. All right. Well, here's here, I think I come down part way. Uh, between the two of you, I would argue that I think Elliot is, is a little bit more pessimistic than I am. I don't think that the Oilers' uh, defense last year was as good as we think about it to be now. Like, I think we have this sort of weird thing we do as Oilers fans, or a lot of Oilers fans do, where we it's like we have amnesia. It's like halfway through the offseason, we all reminisce about how great the team could have been last year. Yeah, how great they could have been, but they didn't ever perform defensively to their capabilities. With the exception, again, 
as I pointed out at the top, of Darnell Nurse, who for me is the only defenseman who who gets a pass in the in the playoffs. Tyson Berry, huge part of the power play. I vouched for Tyson Berry all season long. Elliot wasn't as big a fan all season long last year. I do believe Tyson Berry made the Oilers better. Why? Because he adds an offensive element to Connor's game by having that outlet pass and that aggressive forecheck that we have not seen as long as Connor McDavid has been an Oiler. Having a defenseman like that makes you better. Look at Austin Matthews with with Morgan Riley. Go look at any team Chris Pronger ever played on. Go look at what Scotty Niedemeyer used to do. Look at the way those kind of offensive-minded defensemen have helped championship teams. I think Tyson Berry has that uh, ability to increase the offensive output of his team. Does it hurt them sometimes defensively? Sure. But any for any any forward thinking defenseman is gonna occasionally give up turnovers at the blue line or give up opportunities where they were pinching a little bit. But the upside that they add on the power play, the upside that they add in the offensive zone, I think can't be underestimated. Duncan Keith is a very old man. He's thirty eight years old. No one's gonna pretend he's not. It's a two-year deal. Yes, it's a chunk of change. It's $5.5 million. What is the one thing the Oilers have not had in the last almost full decade is a bona fide, genuine veteran presence with a pedigree and a winning uh, record. Duncan Keith is probably the most decorated defenseman currently playing in the NHL. We've already gone through the resume before. I think it's four, three or four Stanley Cups. He's won a Memorial Cup. He's won two or three gold medals at the Olympics. I don't have them in front of me, but the guy has literally won at every single level. I want that kind of experience sitting next to Darnell Nurse on the bench. I want that kind of experience sitting next to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on the bench. Someone who has seen it all. Is it a little bit of a premium? Hell yeah, it's a bit of a premium. But the we're not going to – I don't believe that Duncan Keith is as bad as his last two years in Chicago would suggest. I also know that when we lost to Chicago, again with that amnesia Oiler fans, Duncan Keith was a contributing factor to that loss in the playoffs. Why? Because he is difficult to play against, even at 38. I will just finish with this. If we're going to be ageist as Oiler fans, let us not forget who helped drag us into the playoffs. His name was Mike Smith, and he happened to be 38 years old. Age in the modern NHL does not make uh, me as fearful as it once did. These guys are in incredible shape. They're taking really good care of their bodies, and I think Duncan Keith has something to prove, and I will never bet against a guy who has something to prove. That's where I come down on it. Elliot, any final thoughts? Well, this that you tried to compare a plethora of amazing defensemen, a la Chris Bronger to Tyson Berry, which I just don't accept as a comparison at all. And uh, and two, I guess we'll see. Elliot, do you think that Tyson Berry shouldn't have been, shouldn't have received any votes for the, the Norris last year? No, I think he was the leading scorer defenseman. I actually don't mind Tyson Berry coming back. The problem I have is not the is not Darnell Nurse, it's not Tyson Berry, it's not the people that are coming back. It's the people that aren't coming back and where the replacements are. And I think Jones Caleb, was on a Caleb I Jones. Caleb Jones was was a borderline three four. I think Ethan Bear came off a really bad sophomore year, but has a really strong future. And I think that uh, if you're talking about winning in the next three or four years, I'd much rather have Ethan Bear go through year three, four, five, than you'd have a Duncan Keith going through one year that I think could be good and a second year, last year, retirement year that I don't think if, is going to be a strong. If he, even, if, if he even makes it through the, the, the final year. 
Yeah, and, and let me just add one more thing. So let's talk about the bottom of the lineup, like Elliot did there for a second. So that's where, he, like Ethan Bear, I think overachieved the year before. Not takes nothing away from a great season he had, but I think we we saw a little bit more of the reality of where he is developmentally. Last year, there were a lot more holes in his game last year that were exposed because he was put in some maybe better or bigger and more important situations based on how well he played the year before. And he, and he struggled a little bit. Now we've seen that a lot with players developing. Sometimes they have a, a sort of a breakout year and then they regress a little bit because the league has sort of figured out, Oh shit, this guy's actually, you know, a genuine threat to us. And they put some different players up against them. I think it is a loss. I'm not going to lie that losing Ethan bear stings a little bit, but the truth For is sure. yeah. you have to move bodies to bring in bodies and you have to sometimes sacrifice like we said a little bit of the future for for the now i think cody cc is a bit of a project but i do think that cody cc adds something that we haven't had on our defense in a little while and that's a defense first mentality in in a younger guy right we have a chris russell we've had i mean adam larson was that was the same that was adam larson and so you needed to fill that whole version that's right And, 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 and it's hard to find another guy like that that's the truth. So you have to find something or a couple guys that can do that. But you know what's funny about the Caleb Jones thing that, again, is the amnesia part. Caleb Jones only played the minutes he played last year yeah. because Slater Cuckoo was hurt. Slater yeah. Cuckoo was meant to have that role, and we will have a, a healthy Slater Cuckoo going into next season, and then we'll really get to see whether or not he has what it takes to be the fourth line or the, four, the third pairing guy. And I think he is. I mean, I liked what we saw from him early in the season, and I certainly liked what I saw against Connor McDavid when he played for Chicago. He was hard to play against. Um, and I'm. You know, I'm going to take the word of a guy like Connor McDavid over any pundit or opinion as as to who's difficult to play against. And when he says Duncan Keith and Slater Cook are hard to play against, I'm going to take that and see what happens. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Evan Bouchard is going to be the wild card here. I think everyone expects him to try to, to to be in a position to make the team. Is that the right move or not? I don't know. We we you know we've we've been burned needs, before by overdeveloping young players, but he has again. If he can show what he has there, I think this defense is better than they appear on paper, and that's that's I would bet on that part of it, and that's what I guess we'll see soon. I think the biggest, the just on the final note there, the biggest loss in this core is what we ha- didn't even get to experience last year in Oscar Clefbaum. The fact that this guy's not going to be again. coming back, he, yeah, and he probably, probably is done. will never again. That yeah, yeah which is sad. That's for still sure. a huge loss for the, this yeah. team that. He was a he was a really highly touted prospect. He yeah. he started to fill in. He started to actually yeah. be that number one guy, and then yeah, and poses a and poses a tricky numbers game, which is part of why you know Holland found himself a little bit hogtied after the Larson part of it, right? Because you still have well, to account for where his money goes, even on LTR, and that's it makes it a little bit trickier. The other thing, I Elliot, agree. Sorry, I agree on that. I, I know I, I agree with that. I, I mean, I think that a lot of this mess is because of you know the unfortunate circumstances with Cuff Bomb. I just worry, you know, last year uh, Larson and either Jones or Bear were a formidable three-four pairing throughout the year. And mm-hmm. I see a significant drop off once you put Barry and Nurse in that first pairing, which I'm not sure Barry should be in that. Yeah, I think Larson was a formidable second, and and CC's a worse defender, uh, and who did well last year, Braden, but played third pairing minutes where he was. I I really worry about who comes over the boards. So after, it's when Darnell that. Nurse is not there, right? Yeah, well, Duncan Keith, who was playing top line minutes in, in a, on a bad Chicago team mind you but still at 38 putting up like 23 to 25 minutes a game and then to drop off and play second line minutes i think that there's something there that could work in his favor that's the gamble right but right now i'm skeptical 
Also, just as a final thought, Elliot, you're talking about worrying about the trade deadline when it comes to trading draft picks. I hate to break it to you. The Oilers don't have any cap space for adding players that they're only going to trade draft picks for. If they're going to make trades the trade deadline, it's going to be a body out for a body in. It's just the reality of it because they're going to have to move salary. So, yes, sure, you lost a couple chips. Uh, well, when you when you table. when you pay Doug, when you pay Doug and Keith five million dollars a year and have Chicago not return any retain any salary, that's the kind of position that you put yourself in. Correct. So, and if Duncan Keith is the player that Ken Holland is betting he is, then that's the gamble you're willing to take. We're going to put a pin in it there because I know we could go on and we will throughout the season. Uh, that was topic one. Do you or someone you know own a small business? Are you looking to grow or to reach new customers? Hey, why not let us help? Hattrick is looking for unique brands, businesses, and products to advertise on our show. You can find out how we can help spread the word about your business by contacting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Okay, topic two. Uh, we're going to talk about a sport we haven't talked about in a very long time, but it's a sport that we may start finding ourselves talking more about, and that's kind of what we're going to get into here. Layla Fernandez, a Canadian, another Canadian woman, found herself in the finals at the U.S. Open uh, only a year or two or however many, a couple years ago, when uh, Bianca Andreescu found herself winning the U.S. Open. And uh, Canada has really come of age when it comes to tennis. Only a couple years ago, we were looking at Eugenie Bouchard and Milos Raonic and obviously Vasek Pospisil were sort of the only names Canadians had to cheer for. And all of a sudden, uh, in just you know, half a decade, this name that the list is, it's just exploded. We've got uh, Denis Shapovalov, Oje Aliasim, who also made the semifinal for the men's side of it in the, at this tournament. And just, just an explosion of Canadian youngsters who are coming of age and coming, uh, with more and more wins to their names. Um, are we in the golden age of Canadian tennis, Braden? And, uh, what was your, what are your thoughts about the U S open performances? I, uh, I don't watch a lot of tennis, but yes, Jordan, I think that we are in the golden age because I don't think that Canadian tennis has ever had an age of tennis. So <laughs> I think that this is, this is all uh, platinum, golden, silver ages uh, of tennis. I think it's great. It, it, what it's proving is that uh, the program is working, whatever, um, you know, the, the there's money there. There's resources. Um, these younger athletes are starting to see the older athletes, like you had mentioned, and they're, you know, they're, they're seeing that there's a place for them and the competition is high. It's great. And it's, it's awesome to see. I didn't watch much of the U S open, but I did catch the finals. And I got to say, um, this Fernandez is, is really special. Like the, the fact that she played finals game on nine uh, 11 and in New York and at 19, like she was, she was not even born when this, uh, this tragedy took place. And for her to, to, you know, say what she did at the end of the, the match about resiliency and perseverance and, and finding that as, as so many uh, New Yorkers did, I think, I think was really, really impressive and special for her. Elliot. Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to to agree. I do have to take issue with the fact that you didn't mention Daniel Nestor, who is one of the foremost yep, doubles partners true. of all time, and 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 who has you know most Grand Slam wins of any Canadian, yep. um, albeit in doubles and mixed doubles play. Um, but really set the tone for I think Canadian tennis. And uh, you know, I mean, the other name that you missed is Milos Raonic, I think, and maybe I missed it when you said it. But you know, another name that's been out there that was out there and really big deal like four or five years ago. 
Uh, I do think we are in a golden age of tennis for Canadian. And, and I think it's just that because it's sustained success. I mean, I'd be really interested to see what is happening in Tennis Canada right now. What does it look like at the youth level? What does it look at the club level? What, because I think for amateur sports, there's probably a model to build off of for other sports uh, in this space right now, because it's clearly producing um, successful athletes. And what I will say, comparing these athletes of today to Daniel Nestor, is that singles is the highest form of the sport. And that's where we're seeing these names emerge is in the single space, which is in and of itself really something uh, really quite uh, phenomenal as well, too. So uh, I, I'd be really interested to hear more about and learn more. And I think there's some value in learning more about what's happened at uh, Tennis Canada, because it seems as though um, it's led to lots of success and, and, and sustained success, newer names coming through. It's not just one really successful star that's, that, that, that skyrockets through and is a big name for a long time and then disappears. And then that's it. There, there's another Canadian star that's coming through either on the men's or the women's side. And that's, that's really exciting, I think. Yeah, and I, I would also say I think one of the really cool parts of this whole story, and there was a great um, video essay today on, uh, I guess, TSN. Um, Michael Farber uh, was the journalist who put it together. Just talking about not only is it really exciting to see all of these young tennis stars starting to sort of come of age there are a lot of them are teenagers like you mentioned Braden. i mean fernandez is 19 she was the the woman she played against in the final uh, who won was only 18 i mean tennis is getting younger and younger uh, and so too are obviously the canadians doing it but what was really cool about the michael farber story was pointing out how so many of these young Canadian athletes have an immigrant story attached to them, whether they themselves are um, Canadian citizens born somewhere else. Denis Shapovalov was born in Israel to Canadian parents. Um, Gabriela Dombrowski, who's one of the doubles, um, one of Canada's best doubles player, um, was born to two uh, Soviet parents in somewhere in, in Europe, but then, you know, immigrated to Canada. Uh, Becky, uh, Bianca Andrescu, born to Romanian parents, grew up in Romania. Aliasim, uh, uh, child of immigrants, and obviously Fernandez, child of an immigrant. So there's just this beautiful part of the story where people are coming to Canada or claiming their Canadian identity as part of their tennis career, um, when maybe there are even are other options. The irony being the woman, again, that that um, won the, the, the U.S. Open, Emma Red. I can't answer it. I tried so hard. Radakun, Radakanu, I think. Radakanu. That's how we'll say it. Radakanu. Sure. Emma Radakanu, I apologize if I butchered your name. You are the Sorry, US Emma. Open champion. However, yes, she claims a, a international. She, she's, a, she's from the UK. She claims the United Kingdom as her nationality. She won it for the UK. Guess where she was born, though? Toronto. So, to, again, mm. British parents. But that's what's so cool about it is it. Yes, we're in a golden age of Canadian tennis, but it also is just a wonderful example of how diverse and how unique the Canadian uh, tennis culture is and how many different um, people of different nationalities and different backgrounds, either their children or they themselves, have found a home in Canada and, and, and are representing Canada on such a high level in the tennis and, and sporting community. And I think it's awesome. And I also think, you know, Fernandez, not, Braden, you're, you're, you're so right that her poise in the match itself, and it was a difficult match for her. I think she was exhausted after two weeks of a lot of tennis. Um, she came up against Emma Raducanu, who had not l dropped a set the entire tournament, which is insane. Um, and also 
uh, just as a final note, because she should at least get some credit for this part of it. She had never beat a ranked player prior to entering the U.S. Open. So uh, just an absolute miracle win for Emma Raducanu. But Layla Fernandez has such an amazing career ahead of her and her poise in the match, but also her poise on the mic at the end. You know, she held her head high. She paid tribute to 9-11 victims and to the city of New York and thanked them for their, their support. And I just think that it, it she represents this country so well, and I was so proud to be Canadian watching her, her, her compete. That's what I have. Uh, I tend yeah. to such a weird way of like spitting people out though, that like you, you say when you said like has a long promising career ahead of herself, like, yeah, you got to, I, so. I don't think I'm, I don't want to say this on the show, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, I hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it's a pretty, it seems like it's like a grueling sport. I think it's like, so rare. It's like tough to stick it out. Like, I don't know. It's like, you hope so, but like, it's, it's whereas you see Djokovic and he's in the finals again and he loses and you're like, he's like, nah, nah, I'll see you next year. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll leave it there. Hey, guess what? The ordinary podcasting network has a brand new show. If you're a fan of Hattrick Sports, then I promise you, you are going to enjoy the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Braden Della Coldman, who is one of the hosts of this show here, Hattrick, hosts an amazing basketball show with one of his best friends, Christian Steck. Together, the two of them will break down the NBA, news from around the basketball world, and get you caught up on everything you need to know. It's fun. It's fast. They have great conversation and banter. They love basketball, and you will love the Backyard Basketball Podcast. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, and you can also follow them on Instagram at backyardbasketball underscore podcast. Okay, topic three, our last topic for this week. Uh, We are going back to baseball. I know that I was very hard on baseball a few weeks ago. Both Elliot and Braden took great offense to the suggestion that somehow baseball might not be as popular as National Football League and and uh, the NBA. Uh, but we don't have to get into litigating that part of it because right now um, the best Canadian team of any sport playing is the Toronto Blue Jays. And that I will not argue with. They had an unbelievable weekend against the Orioles. They beat them 11-10 in a that, – that looks like an exciting game. Uh, 11-10, my goodness. They were down, but, then, uh, but then they, they went on a real exciting run yesterday – or on Saturday, I should say, 11-2. And then uh, Sunday here, the 22-7. Am I reading that correctly, Braden? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, did, the Orioles, did the Orioles eventually just sort of pack up and go home? That's impressive. Uh, the Blue Jays find themselves in a playoff spot for the first time, I think, this season, I guess, or probably from very early on. They're back up, uh, nine games back of the Rays. Um, but now a real serious contender for at least a home wildcard game. Is that right, Braden? How have the Blue Jays looked? Yeah. I know you're the most sort of rabid fan, but I know Elliot was enjoying some baseball this weekend too. Uh, Blue, Jays, Blue Jays are on a run. Yeah, they are. They've won not, uh, I think their last 10 in their last 10 games, they're nine and one. Um, and yeah, like, yeah, Baltimore, it's funny. Baltimore has always kind of had our number this season, but, um, they packed up and went home. They actually, Baltimore actually packed up and went home like at the beginning of the season, but, uh, fortunately for the Jays, they got to face them this weekend. They put up, yeah, the, over the, over this one series, they put up 44 runs. This is unheard of. The, this offense is hot, like white hot. And they, uh, they got everything that they paid for in George Springer. Uh, even though he's DHing right now, cause he's still got a minor injury. He is, he's pulling, 
he's he's pulling all, pulling all the stops. They're they're getting the offense that they're looking for. Pitching is still kind of a little weak. That's something that the Jays have always suffered. Even at the deadline, the moves that they they made to acquire the pieces they needed. They already released Brad Hand, who was one of their prize uh, deals at the deadline, and he's off on another team now. Um, so if the pitching can come through, uh, this team is going to be poised to be doing something really, really special in October, I think. Elliot, you watched some games. Yeah, I had a great time watching the Jays this weekend. Interesting story when you brushed over the scores. Uh, the 11-10 game, they were down by five runs, I think, at one point in that game. And they were, that's right. They scored and, 11 runs in one inning. That's, I know, and then the next game, they were down one nothing going into the final inning. That's the right. Hitter, and they only played seven, seven innings. Camp. They were down one nothing. so I turned it on to watch it, and they exploded for 11 runs. Craziness. So that 11-2 game was one nothing going into the last inning, Jordan. Which was so that was only a seven-inning game? That was only a seven-inning game. 11-1? Both of them were. Both they scored. They only needed one inning. They scored eleven. Oh yeah, is it seven innings of both? Okay, yeah. So there's a new yeah. So there's a new MLB rule this year that that's like if yeah, if any doubleheaders or seven things, seven innings, just to keep 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 it fast, keep it moving. That's what that because MLB, they're worried about they're losing out to the NBA and NFL when it comes to TV ratings. Got it. Okay, good. Keep moving. Likely. So yeah, yeah or, or engagement. Um, so yeah. anyway, they scored eleven runs in that last inning. I see they they put up a ten spot tonight in that twenty two. So, yeah, this is a team that when it gets hot, it gets going and it gets crazy. And that's awesome. I think they're hitting on all cylinders right now. I think they're playing better than they probably (laughs) the sum of their parts or that you'd expect out of the Jays. Um, I'm a little I have a little bit more confidence in the pitching than than, than Braden has, but a little bit less confidence in the team overall than Braden does. I'm not sure that it's a foregone conclusion that they make the playoffs this year. I still think um, the Yankees are still the Yankees. The Red Sox are still the Red Sox. They're still in tough to, to make yeah. a play to, 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 to win here. Um, although they are one game up on the Yankees right now. They're um, also but, riddled with COVID. And we <laughs> they're know, also well, riddled we know how that affects the team. Not not True. to say, you know, I uh, hope that hope all those players are, are well and get well, but uh, it definitely no. impacts the team in terms of their physical, you know. Uh, totally. And and I guess my point is just to say. All I really care about is it's meaningful baseball in September and it's really mm. exciting. And it's, and it's giving me a reason to show up at a one, nothing game on a Saturday afternoon when <laughs> that's not traditionally something I would do as a, and to be, I'll be honest with you. And so that's great. That's great for the blue Jays. That's great for baseball in Canada. Yeah. And uh, that frankly, that's great for me too. So can't complain. So uh, I'm just looking here. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is also now currently tied with Shohani, uh, Shohan Otani. Shohei. Shohei Otani. That's right. I know mm-hmm. the Otani part. He's the mm-hmm. pitcher hitter for the Angels, isn't he too? That's right. That's right. Wow. But the he's uniform. got 40. So 44 home runs on the year for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Does he win the uh, slugging title by the end of the year? Do you think, Brayden? Triple crown. I think he does. I think he does. Like he was down maybe four of those home runs uh, two days ago and he's now tied. Uh, He's leading in hits, leading in runs. I think he's, I think he's pushing, he's kind of clawing his way into that MVP uh, title right now, at least AL, you know, like Otani's had a great year, but LA, the angels are not, doing anything regarding the playoffs and and meaningful baseball right now so they're kind of being forgot about and i think everything that the jays are doing with guerrero is it's exciting and and people who people who haven't watched the jays or don't see the jays get on board because this guerrero kid is going to be the future and i mean he's yeah he's going to win this triple crown i think this year he's only 22 years old it's unreal 
Yeah, but hell of a pedigree, right? He's very special. Yeah, yeah, and his dad was very good too. So we're looking at them now going into a series with Tampa Bay, uh, three games against Tampa Bay, who they are chasing, and then they play them again three times next week. Could we be looking at them getting into a proper playoff spot here, or is the wild card really the best chance they have? No, I don't think so. I think the wild card is the best chance they have. I mean, the, the the thing that they have going for this – so the, the two series against the the Tampa are the tough ones. That's the mm-hmm. hardest part of the schedule. But what the Jays have going for them is they still have another series against the Orioles and and a couple against the Twins as well, too. Two, two which against the great. Twins, yeah. And two against the Twins that haven't been great this year either. But my bet, my money is the we figure out what happens in the second last series of the season – because that's against the Yankees, and that's probably who they're going to be battling for the final wild card spot. But Braden, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I'm with you, Elliot. I think that it's going to come down. I, I think the Jays might have a little bit of a lapse here against the Rays. They're going to see how good that team actually is. Uh, uh, but they'll make it. They'll they'll make a dent, I think, in in the Rays final um, standings for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think it's going to come down to that last Yankee series is going to be a really pivotal one, um, especially for the Yankees trying to get in. Um, fortunately, Seattle and Oakland are kind of falling off. So hopefully that can continue. But uh, it, yeah, it's going to be it's it's going to be close. It's going to be really fun baseball to to watch. And, you know, even if they don't get into the season or uh, into the postseason like this, this part of the season, it becomes the next, you know, the next jumping off point. And this is really, really great momentum. Um, yes, moving into the playoffs, but if they don't make it, uh, it's, it's something really, really great to look forward to for next year. If they can sign Simeon and, and Ray, man, those, those two guys are going to be uh, a very heavy price tag in the off season. Okay. Well, uh, in a couple of weeks, I guess we will know. And if we have an exciting wild card, the wild card game's a one-off, isn't it? Yeah. So this could be very exciting. Uh, we have some baseball, meaningful baseball here to be played in the next couple of weeks. So if you're not watching the Blue Jays, get to it. And uh, and that was our show for this week. Good work, boys. Next week we will get into the goaltending for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, uh, only three people really to dig into and talk about there, but maybe we'll also be able to spend a little bit more time talking about um, some of the, the what ifs and the strategy and some of the maybe missed opportunities in the postseason as well um, as we get closer and closer to puck drop. And then um, hopefully coming up in a couple of weeks, we'll also dig into a little bit of fantasy. We've got some fun stuff uh, planned as we head into the, to the fall and then into obviously baseball, pardon me, baseball playoffs, uh, basketball and the NHL coming back and lots more NFL. So, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Braden and Elliot for joining me. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples. 
as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.